Hi, I'm Kim Kuklitz, and I'm the founder of Stance. And I'm Sarah Zanbergen. I'm the ambassador for Stance, and this is the Take Back Talk Back podcast. We're here to open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations like this. So let's be real here. It's been said that two main things that people are afraid of in life are death and public speaking. Imagine comparing public speaking to death. That's pretty telling. I can share with you that my fear of public speaking was right up there. I'm in a role. I'm often asked to introduce people or to speak at conferences. And just in introducing people, my knees would literally shake before I felt like I was going to pass out. But one day, my friend asked me to speak on her behalf at her husband's funeral. What I thought was going to be a group of 50 people in attendance ended up being about 600. Oh my God. Standing at the podium, looking out at the audience, I thought, how am I going to do this? But I did it. Because, first of all, it was an honor to be asked. And I knew not only did I have to do it, but I I had to do a good job. But something changed in me after I did that speech. I got better being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and no longer had that fear factor. I don't know, Sarah, what about you? Have you ever experienced anything like that? Oh, you know it, Kim. You know I have. Um, I have something kind of a similar situation. Definitely not 600 people, but uh, I used to be an event planner at uh, the bank here, and you and I were at one of the events I had planned uh, after it was all done, having a cocktail and chatting, and we were talking about one of our colleagues who had just been up on stage speaking. You looked at me and you said, you can do that. And I I said, "Uh, no. But you know what? If you ever want me to talk about this new initiative stance that you have going on, let me know. So you called my bluff and you said, all right, August, Niagara Falls, I'm supposed to take the stage. You're going to do it now. I think I actually called you the next day at your desk and said, hey, that was a joke, right? Like you, (laughs) but you weren't kidding. Um, So before you gave me this opportunity or um, Valen told me, pushed me on stage, whatever you want to call it, I did not perform public speaking as part of my role. I practiced that speech so much and stressed over it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And now it's just over two years later and we're starting a podcast, which is fantastic. So I think there's a lot of things at play here, which we're really going to dig into in today's episode. And I'm so excited about it. We're going to talk about mentorship, opportunity, saying yes when you would say no typically. And I think we can really talk about money that way too. So let's get this show on the road. So I am excited to introduce our guest, Jamila Gamble, known as Jam, who is one of Toronto's gifted leaders who encourages everything to hashtag slay the mic. The multi-passionate media personality and speaker is on a mission to help people build their confidence, yay, and amplify their voice. From the boardroom, school auditorium, to your event with a thousand plus people, The Brampton Race speaker inspires people of all ages to not only love the sound of their voice and inspire their world with their ideas, but for everyone to communicate more meaningfully with one another. Welcome, Jam. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. Jam, why do you think women and young girls are so reticent to speak up and use their voice? Oh, that's a, you're starting off with a big question. Okay. Yeah, load it up, Sarah. Okay. Load the question up. Let's load get her. Up. Let's get her off her feet. Oh, 
<laughs> well, honestly, um, hmm, that's a big question, but I'll start with myself in the sense that growing up, I got into a lot of trouble for talking. Um, I was told I talked too much. I talked too loud. I was too extra. My teachers thought it was a problem. They told my mom it was a problem. Therefore, my mom thought it was a problem because especially in West Indian households, you know, children are taught to be seen and not heard. So bringing that into school and being the total opposite, um, it landed me in the office quite a bit. So for as long as I can remember, um, I tried my best to control my voice. I tried my best to be calm. I tried my best to listen more and talk less, but it just kept coming out and pouring out. And I think for a lot of young women, if they, if or women in general, if you think back, think back to what your teacher's attitude was with your voice. You know, think back to what your parents' attitude was with your voice. Were they telling you to, you know, be respectful, be patient, listen more, um, come across as more eloquent and elegant by sitting and just observing the room versus sharing your opinion? I think it starts a lot from our childhood. And then when I got into like my teens and early 20s, I was like, um, everybody could kick rocks. Like I, I need to use this voice. And when I used it, my world changed ultimately. So I think for a lot of people, it, it, it just starts from how you were raised to use your voice. And if you're going to continue to carry that mindset, or are you going to wake up at some point and say, no, I can't continue this? Geez, Jam, I, I used to get sent to the principal's office because I was the silent type. What I'd like to do is go behind when the boys were standing up at their desk and move their chair out and then wait for them oh to sit down and then they go sit down, go flying on the floor. So, you know what? And you got in trouble for being loud. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I, I got in so yeah. much trouble for that. Well, but I got I, grounded, one teacher so. actually found it. Yes, I did get grounded too. But <laughs> I remember I had one teacher who like, I think she realized that this kid talks a lot. Like, let's, let's, let's do something with it. And they put me in the morning announcement club. I, I treated that like it was CNN. I love that. You know? <laughs> it was a big deal. But yeah, I, again, for women who are listening right now, I want you to like really think back to the early years where you were learning how to use your voice. And what was the attitude of, the, of those around you? Were they encouraging you or were they telling you to listen more? And that's probably where it started. Oh, yeah. And, and the formative years, right? That makes all the difference. So I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite subjects, imposter syndrome. First time we met, quote unquote, I was speaking on imposter syndrome. You and uh, your good friend Vivian were in the front <laughs> row and, and you guys were heckling, but, but, but wait, you weren't heckling, you weren't heckling me, you were heckling my imposter syndrome. We were heckling so, a lot of things that day, but a lot of things, <laughs> but I remember feeding off that and thinking, you know, this, this woman feels the same way about imposter syndrome as I do, which I loved. Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately that day we didn't get to actually meet, but we were reunited in an event later that year, Gather North. And yeah. I, I told you, and I hope you remember this conversation. So I told oh, I you I had to leave early the next day and that I would unfortunately miss your talk, which I was very sad about. But I think the way I said it was something like, uh, I, ha I have to go do this thing. I'm getting an award, but it's not a big deal. It's like this thing. Ugh, nobody really knows what it is. And it's nothing. Blah, blah, blah. And you nodded. You waited for me to patiently <laughs> to stop talking. And then you said something like, okay, I'm going to get you to try that again, but you're going to be proud of yourself. You're going to yes. say, jam, I have to leave because I'm getting a kick-ass award. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 
which, and, and I have to say that changed me. And that really changed the way I, I thought about myself, my accomplishments and the way that I talk and the way that I talk about myself to other people. So I guess my question, that was a very long-winded way of saying, why, why don't we as women talk more confidently about ourselves and about our accomplishments? Like, where do you think that comes from? You know what? Honestly, um, I, ca- I can't give you the answer because I don't do that. <laughs> so yeah. I, I would have to think why other women do that and assume the reason why other women do that is because, again, taught to be seen and not heard and that it's um, audacious and you're bragging and you're being too much when you you share your wins. But when Derek wants to do it, you know, all right, Derek. All right. Big class for Derek. Right. No. No, when I learn to embrace my too muchness, I realize that my too muchness gets me even moreness. So I decided to stick with that attitude. But again, where did it start where you did something you were really proud of and you're like, I did this. And someone goes, okay, okay, sweetheart. Okay. Just yeah. Uses, plat- uses platitudes, right? Yeah. Like, when did that start? Where and, and we could all think back to when you come home and you were so excited to say, I did something or you came first and someone just is on the sidelines going, OK, now think about other people's feelings. Be a good sport. No. And this is something that I, I have to say when I watch you on your Instagram lives and when you um, publicly drag your coaching clients, <laughs> my favorite thing ever, you talk about this minimizing language that we use. Your very favorite. I just wanted to hop on here. Um, I just, I only, and again, you know, why, why do we sit here and minimize these things that we do that we're proud of? Mm-hmm. What is that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, is that we put other people's feelings before our own. And the first feeling that should be on the table is how proud we are of ourselves. And it's okay to be proud of yourself. It's okay to um, shine brightly and talk about it until you're blue in the face. Like, do we tell fireworks just to pop lightly? No, we expect fireworks to do a big old bang. So why can't we be a big old bang too? Like you did something. Embroidered on a pillow. (laughs) Yeah, you you couldn't have said it better. Like I totally agree. The things that we do in life, we didn't just do it in one take, we went through a lot. And when you, when you run a marathon, for example, when people cross that finish line, do they just go sit down and and dry their head off? No, they, they release, they, they show how they feel. So there's nothing wrong with showing how you feel, especially when you accomplish something that maybe someone told you you couldn't do. Well said. And that's a segue into, into the next piece that I wanted to mention and ask you, Jam. At one of our stance launches, uh, we had Michelle Romanow, who was our main ambassador a few years ago of stance. And she said something that resonated, I think, with the whole audience. I mean, listen, she's captivating. You listen to her. She's raw. She's she's honest. You know, she talks about don't be afraid to fail. But the one thing that she really said that resonated with all of us, because this is really around the stance sort of initiative around the confidence is she said, we cannot fix a confidence problem by telling women to be more confident. So, and, and that couldn't be more truthful. Um, you know, I believe that in order to gain confidence, you have to actually go outside your comfort zone and actually do it. Just what you said, running a marathon, right? So maybe someone, you know, they were nervous to do it. It's a lot of hard work, but they should be excited about it. Right. And it's a big accomplishment you know, far often we believe we can't do it. So my question to you is, how can we get our society to get better at this? Like encouraging women to speak up more confidently. 
Yeah, so confidence, I think people have a misconception about what is confidence and what confidence looks like and what confidence sounds like. And I think we think that confidence is the loudest person, the most extroverted person, um, the risk taker, the daredevil, all those types of things. When you are also confident, even if you're introverted, you are confident, even if you're not the loudest person in the room, like people like, oh, I wish I was as loud as you. Do you? Yep, true. Do you? That's not, maybe that's not you. So even if you're at a whisper, doesn't mean, that doesn't make, that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're not confident. That just means that maybe what you're talking about right now requires you to sound like that, or you're learning how to build your voice. But there's, there's no in between when we think about confidence. It's either you're not confident or you're confident. There's no, I'm on my way to becoming confident. I'm on my way to loving myself and, and putting myself out there. We just look at that finish line. So if we paid more attention to the middle part, then I think that's how we would help society change their perception, their mindset on what a confident woman looks and sounds like. So we, we hear the word no a lot. And, you know, you and I have had conversations about this. And we actually talked about the word no before we got started recording here. But how do we deal with that no? Or or how do we get to a space where people saying no to us isn't such a looming fear anymore? Mm. Yeah. You see, I'm okay with hearing no, depending on the situation. I think telling people that we, you know, don't settle for the word no is not great advice. Um, it's what, what was the, what was the original question? What was the ask? If I said I wanted a more, um, responsibility in the company and you tell me, no, okay, we have a problem. (laughs) We have a problem. But in terms of the word, no, I think it's realizing that just because someone says no, period, we forget that there's a sentence that follows after that. No. And that's usually the explanation as to why you're telling me no. Just telling me no is not good enough. Um, and I think it's it's encouraging people to get a, re, um, not response, but why? An explanation as to why are you saying no? But if you just take the no and you walk away, hmm, again, we have a problem. But what haven't we been brought up that way a little bit? Like when you ask your mom and dad, I know mm-hmm. when I ask my mom, you know, can I do this? No. Yeah. Well, the logical thing is, why not? Where's the explanation? Because I said so. Right. Like you hear that so many times, maybe in my generation, because I'm much older than you. Jan, oh, I heard it, too. And, I heard it, too. Uh, and I heard it, too. And I, I wouldn't dare. My mom was definitely not someone who I could ask for further explanation. And I carried that into my adult years or into my even my 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 teen years, not being able to ask for further clarification. There reaches a breaking point. And sometimes it, 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 it unfortunately is a traumatic breaking point where you need to go through something really ugly, really uncomfortable for you to go, but wait a second, why can't I question this? And I reached that moment. I reached that moment at work where someone kept telling me no and no and no and no and no. And eventually I go, but why are you telling me no? Why can't we pursue this? Why can't we explore this option? I'm curious to know. And I remember when I when I asked that, I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm about to lose my job. Um, let me just move to another town. Who am I? And then I survived, right? We're going we're gonna to still be alive after we asked for clarification. You asking for clarification is not a sign of you being a rebel. You're asking for clarification. There's no crime in that. And the minute we realize that there's no crime in asking for clarification, then it gives us permission 
to continuously ask why after somebody tells us no. So if you had to speak in front of 600 people again tomorrow, Kim, would you be excited or would you be nervous? I think every time you do public speaking, you're nervous because you want to do a great job. But would I feel more confident? Definitely, yes, because I've done it so many times now that I've built confidence. I feel better when I get on stage. I would definitely say the same. The more you do it, honestly, the easier it gets. Uh, I'm curious. So you have a daughter. When she was young, how did you nurture her voice? How did you um, encourage her to speak up? Well, she learned from seeing me speak up and not be quiet on issues. Maybe some cases I should have been, but anyway. (laughs) But as far as public speaking goes, she learned it in school. Uh, She went to an all-girls school, and they made it part of the curriculum to learn how to state your perspective on things from when she was 13 years old. I'm jealous. I wish I had that in school. Hopefully that becomes more common in the years to come. I was an incredibly shy kid, and that stretched on to, well probably my 30s, if I'm being honest. And I mean, you know me well enough to know that that's probably true. Um, When I worked at my very first job at Tim Hortons, my manager put me on the window to force me to be louder. So that makes me curious about younger you. Did you ever get in trouble for talking too much? Absolutely. Always in school. I was always talking too much. But then again, I moved around a lot as a child. So every time we moved... I had to make new friends. I had to use my voice or otherwise I wouldn't have any friends. So, yes, I got in trouble all the time. (laughs) I can just imagine. I have this image now of young Kim getting in trouble. That's awesome. (laughs) So I want to take a moment to repeat something Jam said in this interview that I think is really valuable. She said, you asking for clarification is not a sign that you are a rebel. I really love that. I think... I need to tell myself that every day because I see you, for example, do this in meetings. You ask for clarification on things because you want to have a holistic understanding of everything. Um, So I'm curious, was that something that you had to practice or have you always been confident about asking for clarification? Not always, but as I got older and I got more confident, I realized that if you don't ask for clarification, especially in the workforce, you may not end up meeting expectations that are asked of you. You realize as you get older, you don't have your parents to protect you. You are on your own. You need to understand what is being asked of you. It's okay to ask for help if you don't understand. But sometimes when something is said, people have different perceptions. Clarification from that individual is critical. That's such a great point and I think really illustrates another reason why we as women especially have to fight that fear of speaking up. So let's talk about how confidence relates to our money. You reached a very exciting milestone this year. You became debt-free as of May 2020. That's exciting. Well, that's what I, you know, hang on a second. That's our question to you. How did you do that? Okay. (laughs) I was like, what did I do? What is she she about to tell me? Okay. So first, let me just tell you about my relationship with money. I think that's important. So growing up, the only advice my mom gave me about money was A, um, never have a joint bank account with any man and B, have VEX money. Meaning, if anything pops off, you have your money to get the hell out. That's the only advice my mom gave me around finances. So when I got into my marriage, 
I had debts. And I remember my then boyfriend saying, okay, well, first we're going to pay yours off. And when he said the word we, I was like, no, 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 no. My mom told me that you can't help me pay off my debt because if we get divorced, you're going to go run around town and tell people how you paid off my debt. And I can't have that. (laughs) So, So I remember always telling myself, there's no way in hell this man is going to have any involvement in paying off my debt. Now, I remember he gave me a little something, something, but it wasn't the big brunt of things that needs to be taken care of. So it reached a point that when I was charging or putting my my quote out there or rate out there for events, there was a point in my career where I was lowballing myself. And then there reached a point where I was like, listen, Jam Jam, you got things to pay off. Plus you have a shopping addiction. So we need to find balance here. Like we need to have money to pay things off and also support your shopping addiction. So how did I make more money? I asked for it. I said, I need more money because I'm Jam. And I'm going to make your event really good. So you need to pay me this. And I started to get that money. But my goal, even though I have a shopping addiction and I love McDonald's fries and vanilla iced coffee like it's nobody's business, (laughs) I always made sure I was putting money aside to pay things off. Always. That when COVID struck in March, I remember my heart sinking. That I was like, okay, all the the plans I was planning on being debt-free by June, all the events that were going to help me become debt-free are now canceled. What am I going to do? When everything went virtual, all of a sudden, I was getting way more money than I even anticipated that I ended up being debt-free way before I anticipated. And that to me was, I remember calling my mom and I was like, I'm debt-free on my own. I did that. <laughs> yeah, you know? So I did, I did it because I, I made it, I wanted to get that cloud over my like away from me. I felt like I didn't feel like a full entrepreneur because I had debt. I didn't feel as independent as I projected myself out to be because I had debt. And I I was just determined for everything to be clear by a certain period. And yeah, I was really proud that that happened. You know, when we started Stance, you know, we did a lot of research. And, you know, one of the things our research showed us And one of the main stats, because I'm not going to bore anybody with stats, but the main one that we paid attention to was that only 30% of women that we had uh, researched felt that they were financially confident. That's taking into consideration that 61% of them passed a financial literacy test with flying colors. So they know it. They just don't know that they didn't. They know it, right? Which is like, is shocking. But so how do we get women to really stand up and, you know, understand that If they don't look after their own money, who is going to do that? I think for people who identify as women, we learn through storytelling. And so sometimes it's not just bringing up the facts and the figures to kind of shake us up. And some people do operate by that type of logos, right? Okay, give me the stats, give me the figures so I can understand if this works for me or not. But like, again, let me go back to my mom here. Let me think worst case scenario. If things were to pop off, (laughs) will I be okay? And that shook me up a little bit that if you were to survey me, I'd be one of those people who are like, yeah, Kim, I'm not doing enough. I don't know enough. So I have to operate in worst case scenario that if things were to go south, if we were to separate or whatever it was, if something was to happen to him, could I be in control of our or my finances? And I could honestly say right now, no, no. I would not know how to. So I think what I was so focused on was getting myself to be debt-free 
that I wasn't thinking about anything else when it came to finances. So now that I'm debt free, I know I need to educate myself on making sure I'm good because as much as we're a partnership, I'm an individual. My money is my money. We have our money. <laughs> Don't talk to me about my money as long as things are paid off. But I do want to feel secure enough that I could go into the bank or I could go into situations and I could carry my own conversation and he doesn't have to be my backup vocalist. Again, ask yourself, if things were to change drastically tomorrow, how safe do you feel? If you don't feel safe, start Googling. Just start <laughs> Googling. So, so let's look at financial confidence another way. So we're all in agreement here. We need to be more focal about money, about being more inquisitive. And these are conversations that Kim and I have all the time. Something I think about a lot is how we can avoid conflating our self-worth with our money, especially in today's social media saturated environment. Oh. So uh, did I, did I throw you a curveball? No, actually, my beef is not around that. If you have the money to treat yourself, then treat yourself. That's not my business. My beef with social media is all these coaches, all these business success coaches who are coming out and saying, if you follow my template, I can help you have a six to 10K month. And that is what we are measuring our success by. Did you have a 10K launch? Are you a six-figure business owner? Like that's what people are measuring. And that has me infuriated because if you had your first keynote and you used to charge 150, but you asked for 750, I'm throwing confetti your way. <laughs> yeah. I'm throwing confetti yep. your way because that's a big freaking deal. Yep. But no, social media now has set the standard, has set the tone to six figure business owner. Yep. When I launched my course in July and I made the money that I made, I didn't go out and talk about that because I didn't want other women to feel that that's the only thing that makes you successful is if you had a five-figure launch or a six-figure launch. The launch that I had, the, in terms of figure measurement, I measured it by people. I had a 20-people figure launch. That's what I was excited by. The fact that 20 people chose to invest their good, hard-earned uh, hard coin in my course. Not the fact that I'm a six-figure business owner, but now there's women out there who are trying to get into entrepreneurship, who are trying to launch something, and they don't think they're enough because they didn't have a 10K month or they didn't have a six-figure. Whatever your amount is, that's what you should be proud by. Not what people in society has said, okay, this is what this is the benchmark you need to work towards. So why is why is my Instagram making me feel like I'm not successful? You know what I mean? It's that's the feeling that I don't that I don't enjoy. Sarah, do you remember the, the, the event, the first event? We're not gonna name the event, but you remember the event that we met at, okay? And there was a there was a live coaching session happening on the stage. And one of the women was like, I want to launch my my thing. I want it to turn into this. And the woman's like, okay, do you want to have a 10K month though? And she's like, yes, absolutely. And she's like, so when are you going to quit your job? And I was like, kick rocks. Don't tell her to quit her job. She's not ready to quit her job. It's okay. You could still be an entrepreneur and have a nine to five. Like, why are you putting this in her head? That's what we were heckling about because it was terrible advice terrible advice. So be careful where you're taking your advice from. If it doesn't suit you, don't listen to it because you're allowed to still work and save and have a dream that you're building on. And it felt like in that situation, that person had to pick one over the other. 
you know, save money and make sure you're okay or go and be this full-time entrepreneur that you know you're not ready to be just yet. So please, everyone, follow your voice, (laughs) not listen to someone else's all the time. Love this. And I love how raw and real it is. But so I just want to go back to that piece around, you know, you as a little girl talking a lot um, and, and not being received well. So, and you've probably covered this in some of your comments throughout this podcast, but you know, it's probably a good one to end on because that's how we started to, we kind of opened up with you, with you talking about your childhood as, as, as being a young girl. Um, so what would you say to, you know, our young audience today and, and also keeping in mind that our audience could be parents that have children, so what w- what would be the takeaway that, that you would say to the young audience or any parents that are mm-hmm. listening? That's a great question. So I remember I was I was a speaker for um, a teacher conference last year. And I said, you know, I wish we treated our students' voices the way we treat athletes. If we saw a student running up and down the field, we're like, whoa, that kid has some legs on them. They totally need to be, you know, try out at the basketball or try out at soccer. We see, we see something. We need to treat our voice or their voice the exact same way. That child who talks a lot might use their voice to say that something is wrong or someone is harming them. That child who talks a lot might be the next news anchor, might be a radio personality, might be launching their own podcast, might be delivering a TED Talk that is seen around the world. So although it might seem obnoxious in the moment, Think futuristically where what this child could be doing with their voice. And chances are they're going to be doing some great things. So we need to foster that instead of hindering it. So on behalf of Kim and myself, I want to say thank you so, so much for coming on Take Back, Talk Back. This is season one. I'm thrilled to have you part of season one. Um, That's exciting. It's so exciting. So before, before we sign off, I'll just ask you, where can our listeners find you out in the world? You could find me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Jam Gamble or my website, I am Jam Gamble.com. Jams and everything because I'm that sweet. Those are the places where you can find me. Okay. Thank you, Jam. We really do appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, our, our initiative is really to, to help women. Um, you know, we, we take from the community, we have to learn to give back and giving back is not necessarily just giving money and saying, okay, call it a day. It's about, you know what, being mentors. And as Sarah and I know, um, and relating to women, because this is really what this is, right? You know what we, you know, we're mothers, right? We could be daughters. We have sisters, we have aunts. And our biggest thing is that, you know, some of us may not feel like, we're in vulnerable situations and maybe the stuff we were talking about today, maybe, maybe, you know, they don't, they don't feel that they feel really confident, but they know a lot of women that aren't. And it's incumbent on us, I believe, right. To help out, right. Help everyone. Right. And if we can, from having this podcast um, and having events and things like that, that we can share uh, advice um, and knowledge that that's what we choose to do. So thank you again. We both work at a bank, so we're quite familiar with uh, one of my favorite four-letter words, debt. (laughs) I'm curious, um, how do you feel about debt? Are you afraid of it or do you embrace it as a tool? No, I'm not afraid of debt. In some cases, you need debt. Debt can be a lot of things. It's a tool. It teaches you discipline. 
And let's be honest, your credit score is like a fingerprint to banks. Building your credit score involves debt. So no, I don't fear it, but I think it needs to be utilized properly. Absolutely. That's a really great point. And for me, that's where I think the fear comes from. We're in too much debt. And that's the scary part. But to your point, if we're using this tool properly, it can lose part of that fearful aspect, right? Yeah, for sure. So the way Stance really got started, as we spoke about in this episode, was down to you opening up and telling a really personal story. And Jam touched on this as well. I loved that point that she made that we learn through storytelling. And before I got involved with Stance... I'll tell you, I was absolutely ashamed about some financial mistakes I had made in the past. But over the last few years, I have now literally stood on stages and told hundreds of people about how I messed up. And now I see it differently. I hope it helps someone to not make the same mistakes I did. And hopefully I won't make that same mistake again. Um, I'm curious, were you nervous the first time you shared your personal story about investing publicly? So... No, actually, uh, I wasn't nervous because I've done enough research talking to friends and colleagues to know I wasn't the only one who needed to up the ante. It was worth sharing publicly. Someone needs to take the first step and look at the results we've seen. Oh, definitely. And you know, I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't got that ball rolling. But let me tell you, my knees were shaking the first time and there was a podium in front of me. That's the only reason why you didn't see that. (laughs) It didn't look like it. Um, So let's talk about social media. I really like Jam's point about success in social media. I don't make six figures, but guess what? I feel successful in my life. Money is not the only measure of success. And I really hope we're looking at a turning point here. You and I have spoken about this a lot. I remember you speaking in a team meeting a few years ago. You had just come back from a vacation and you spoke about the concept Pura Vida, which I'm mangling, I know. But I remember watching you talk no, about No, you this. said it. You said it exactly. Okay, good. I remember watching you talk about this, and this was pre-COVID, and thinking, wow, she's right. Where the heck are my priorities? Also, how's my blood pressure? So now I know you were listening when I did that piece, which was a year ago. <laughs> anyway, I really think we need to separate that sensationalized version of success social media shows us, and I believe 2020 has taught us that. We need to think about what is really important. Yes, having your finances in order is very important. And I think Jam made a really good point when she said, you don't have to choose between your nine to five and your side hustle. Yes, you do not have to choose between your nine to five and your side hustle. I I personally have some side projects that I'm working on, and I'm sure at some point, maybe I can monetize them. I'm not there yet. And I know if I push myself to make them my source of income, I'm simply not going to enjoy them anymore. Now, that's just me. I know other people feel differently, but I think it's a lot about understanding what your own personal version of success is, right? Yeah, I agree. Success means different things to different people. But it doesn't matter what it means to others. It matters what it means to you, Sarah. So personally, I feel really successful if I figure out a new piece of technology on my own. Being a good person is success to me. It doesn't always have to be about the number on your paycheck. Well, we've both at this point figured out, I think, how to use podcast microphones. So that's a success (laughs) for us. 
<laughs> and listen, we're living through a global pandemic. Getting through the day sometimes is a success. So let's be a little kinder to ourselves, shall we? Thank you for listening to the Take Back Talk Back podcast, the podcast where we open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations, just like this one. You know what we don't talk about enough? The sneaky ways we lose money. Everyone is always so quick to blame coffee, and I have to say I'm sick of coffee getting such a bad reputation. I love coffee. I live on coffee. Please don't come for my coffee. There's something worse. Account fees. So many of us pay up to 20 bucks a month just to have our money in the bank. I have a word that could describe this, but I work for a bank, so maybe I'll just say it's poppycock. There is an alternative. EQBank doesn't charge monthly fees, transaction fees, Interact e-transfer fees. There's no minimum balance, and you earn a high interest rate on every dollar. Skip the bank fees and have your coffee. The Take Back Talk Back podcast is brought to you by EQBank, Money Well Banked. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. Any information provided is for information purposes only, and Equitable Bank makes no representations as to the validity, accuracy, or completeness or suitability of any content. You should seek the advice of a qualified professional or undertake your own research before making financial decisions. This podcast is produced by the phenomenal team at Quill. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify.